don't know if you ever uh, FaceTime someone or maybe in a, in a Zoom meeting and uh, their face was really, really close to, to the screen. You ever have that experience where like, like you need to back up a little bit here because I, I, can't, I can't quite make out what, what I'm supposed to see there. I, I know in the last few years it's become more uh, prevalent because of uh, different things and, and uh, we're getting a little bit better with that, but it's still kind of funny to me. I, I don't know if you remember, there was, I think, a lawyer that was on a Zoom meeting with some other lawyers and a judge and he had a cat filter on and he couldn't get off. And, and so the entire time, like, he's like, I'm not a cat. Uh, and he's talking to the judge, doing his, you know, whatever, his argument before the judge, and he's, he's, in, a, he's in a cat filter. Like, uh, there's just something about the idea, uh, you know, these things that, uh, you know, it's just right in front of our face. It's sometimes hard to really see what's going on because we're, we're too zoomed in. I, I think that happens a lot in life, that we can become overwhelmed in the moment. I left that blank there because you can really fill it in with anything. Whether you look at the news, whether you see what's going on around our world, whether it's in your own life, in your own relationships, maybe it's financial, maybe it's the health. Uh, we can get lost in that moment. We can be so zoomed in to that situation that we have a hard time seeing the, the full picture. We have a hard time seeing the, the big picture of what is going on and what's happening. And so we've got to be careful that we don't lose ourselves in that moment. Because we can't see the full picture or because uh, we're so focused in on whatever that thing is, we tend to then react to that. We tend to make decisions or choices or we pretend uh, to, or we start to, to actually do things to counteract what we think we see and, and we end up making things even worse than that. This book of Micah that we've been looking at here um, is a book that was written <coughs> during a time when uh, the, the nation of Israel split into the northern and the southern kingdom is facing this great pressure from the superpower of that day. Now in, um, in Bible college, I, we learned to pronounce this as share a rib, okay? Uh, just share a rib. I don't know why I always thought that was funny. Uh, uh, you can figure out how to pronounce it. Uh, I think it's more... Uh, uh, sewer ribs, sewer share rib, I don't know, you can figure it out. But anyways, this, this army was pressing down upon them and they were faced with this immediate danger of being overrun, being besieged by this army. On top of that, Micah, of what we've already looked at, has brought about some judgments upon the, the, them because of the way they were treating people. And so you have the oppression uh, in, in chapter 2. You have the injustices of the, of the judges and the prophets and the politicians in chapter 3. And in all of that, God, or, through Micah, is basically saying, because you were supposed to be my representation, because you were supposed to be my mouthpiece and you weren't, judgment is coming upon you. And now you have this nation pressed down upon you. And in the midst of that, What's so beautiful about the story of Micah is that in the face of this judgment, there is also hope. And so we saw at the very beginning of chapter 4 last week that uh, from the mountain of God, this mountain that's going to rise up, Jerusalem, uh, is, it, it was a city on a hill, was a city on a mountain, was going to be uh, flattened, and yet from that was going to rise up the God's prophecy of the Messiah to come, and from him would flow all this peace and protection and justice and wisdom that's all going to come from the Messiah. But yet in this moment, 
the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, they, 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 they didn't know this was coming. They couldn't see it. They were blinded because of this pressure and this fear of what's coming on. And so we pick up in verse 6 through 7. Micah now comes and carries on, uh, not in the first five verses when he's talking about the future, but, uh, or the, the long-term future, but now he's talking about the future. It's going to come immediately, or not immediately, but to this nation of Israel. He goes on, he goes, says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who've been driven away. And those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. In the midst of all this that's coming, as this army is pressing down upon him, Micah says that even though this is coming, do not worry or fear because God is still God. Now, when we think about this, when we process this through, we recognize that Micah and even those listeners, they, they didn't have all the answers to that. They didn't know exactly what was going to take place. They didn't exactly know how this was going to happen. They knew that in some way there was this future promise that God was going to send this Messiah. They, they, they believed in that from all the way from Genesis. Yet in the moment, they're trying to figure out how is this army a part of that bigger picture? They don't, they don't grab that. And, and even if that army comes, and as Micah is saying, and, and it will flatten you, God's still going to be in control. God is still going to pull this remnant together and establish a nation that was scattered. He's still part of it. You know, in these situations that we find ourselves in, <coughs> whatever they may be, and I don't know everybody's situation. It's one of the joys that I have of this fact. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know all that you're facing. I don't know all the things that, that, that might be zoomed up into your face and overwhelming your perspective on everything right now. But whatever that may be, what I know in that moment is that God is still God. In that moment, even though judgment was going to come to Jerusalem, even though the people would be scattered, God is still going to gather his people and he's going to return. God is still stays God. And that can bring us some comfort here. That can bring us some reality for the, the scattered but not abandoned crowd. The, the fact that we can feel this weight upon us and yet still in the midst of that without the answers, without knowing how it's going to be, without telling you tomorrow will be better because I can't even tell you tomorrow will be better. I can tell you that in the midst of the scattering, in the midst of this moment, God is still God. Now why do we get lost in these moments? Why do we struggle with that? Well, I think we struggle with it because we have a very limited and shallow view of God's sovereignty. We also have a limited and shallow view of his goodness and what the grand story is being told. Let me explain a little bit about the idea of sovereignty. What, what is this idea of God's sovereignty? Well, let's just pick up on the theme that, that Isaiah's, or, uh, Micah is picking up on here. And it's this idea that kingdoms come and kingdoms fall. That, that Israel and the northern and southern kingdom, it's, it comes and it goes. The, the Assyrian army is going to come and go. Babylon, which we'll find out another time, is going to come and it's going to go. The fact is that throughout all of history of civilizations, civilizations, some have risen and some have fallen. 
Now, now for some of us, if we don't have that understanding, we can kind of get lost even in this moment that we live in in 2022 and we think, well, America is going to be around forever. We think of somehow America is, is the one civilization that's not going to rise and is going to fall. And, and the reality is it's, it is going to. We can look at others and, and, and across the world and, and say, well, they're going to be there forever. They're a superpower. They're going to do everything. And, and the reality is that that civilization rises and it falls. Over the normal course of history, we see this. And we can actually see it in the book of Daniel. I want to just kind of pull this out real quick. <laughs> As Daniel is speaking to the king of Babylon, uh, Belshazzar. And they're at a party, and he's defiling some of the vessels from the temple of Jerusalem. And in the midst of this party, <coughs> uh, a handwriting starts showing up on the walls. Uh, kind of a, a supernatural moment here, and it's freaking everyone out, as it would freak me out right now if some handwriting showed up on the wall. And Daniel's there to interpret it, and Daniel says, God has ordered or numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and will give it, be given to the Medians and the, and the Persians. Daniel, in, the, in the, this moment when the, the, the king of Babylon is at his highest peak, at his, at his highest power, is telling him, your days are numbered. And what we take away, what we recognize in this moment is that God, uh, for some reasons, allows certain people to, to rise in power. And then usually what happens, pride comes in. They believe they did it on their own. They believe they're invincible. They believe it's going to always be that way. And then eventually God brings them down. And yet the constant theme in, throughout all of history is that God remains God. God remains king. And so when we, we think about this, uh, he even picks up on verse 9. He says, now, why do you cry out loud, there is no king in you, and your counselor perished? The pain seized you like a, a woman in labor. <coughs> what, what Micah is saying through God to, to, the, to the, this kingdom uh, is that why have you lost in the midst of this painful moment that there is no king? I am the king. I will be the king. No matter if you are, are, are in this moment where your kingdom is, is prospering or your kingdom is going to be in ruin. Whether you're gathered or whether you're scattered. I am still king. Not only is he that king, <coughs> but he it reminds us that the destiny of any kingdom and government in every country is, is going to be the same. And God holds that in his hands. That's why we really shouldn't get too prideful and we shouldn't get too fearful in moments that are coming towards us and, and, and we try to evaluate the moment without stepping back and seeing the big picture that God is sovereign king. Not only that, but then he goes on and he talks about God's goodness often comes when we lose the thing that we think we need. Isn't it easy for us to believe that this one thing we need is going to solve our problems. I mean, that's what every politician tells us, right? Vote for them because they are the ones that are going to solve the problem. They're the one thing you need. And in fact, what they oftentimes use is they use a fear tactic to say, well, if you think this other person is what you need, here's what's going to happen to you and here's how the world's going to fall apart. But you need me because I'm the one solution to, to fix your problem. And that's what everyone talks about. That's the way the world works, even in marketing when it comes to entertainment and, and the pleasures. Like, you have this problem in life because you're not 
you're not, you're not entertained enough, you're not happy enough, you're not joyful enough, or you're not, you know, you don't, you're not cool enough, you don't have all these things. So if you just get this one product, it'll, it'll make you happy. It'll give you good things. It'll give you joy. And that creeps into our theology of God. We start to think God is that way. And so one of the things I love to do as a pastor uh, in, in living in the, in, the, in the country, in the culture that I live, is to step out of that and look at around the world and see how are other pastors and theologians looking at life. Because I realize I'm limited. I'm limited in my time and space. And so this week I was reading from a pastor uh, who's uh, in Lebanon, a Lebanese pastor, and he wrote this. He said, it's because we have falsely believed that the goodness of God is experienced through the comforts of life. And that's one of the great lies that our culture has fed upon us. You need this so that it'll make your life more comfortable. And God looks at us and says, you don't need more comforts in life so your life is good. You need me in your life no matter how your life is. And oftentimes we buy into the lie that we believe hard is bad. Hard isn't bad sometimes. Hard sometimes is exactly what we need. Hard is sometimes good. In fact, I'm a person that sometimes uh, <coughs> falls into this trap that when everything good is going on in my life, I don't need God. I've got it all figured out. Why do I need God? I, I, I've figured it out. Everything's going good and I'm just going to cruise on the ship as long as I can. And that lasts for maybe about a day. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I realize, man, I'm a train wreck. This isn't just cruising along like I'm cruising on a sail, floating down some kind of lazy river. This is, this is a train wreck heading for the bridge that's out. And I need something or I need someone. I need someone to, to, to rescue me from this moment because, man, I am, I am not, you know, uh, doing good all by myself. Yet, we have this idea that if I just get the right education, if I just get the right job, if I just marry the right person, if I just have the right health, if I eat all the right food, if I do everything right, then good things are going to come my way. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a shallow view of God's goodness. God's goodness is that he is God and he is with us. You see, God's goodness never abandons us. You know what he said earlier in the verses we read? He gathers the lame. Even though they were scattered, God was still going to be involved in their lives. God was never going to abandon them in this moment. In fact, in verse 10, it says, There you shall be rescued, that the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. That even in this moment, the enemies may have a, a victory. That's basically what he's saying. The enemies may get a victory in this moment. But they're not going to win the war. They're not going to win the war. And, and, and how often do we know that? How often do we recognize? How often do we say, God, I, I can't believe this happens again. God, why do you let this go on again? And, and in those moments, I can't tell you why. I don't know. I don't. But I, I, I still have to hold on to this truth that even in those moments and the victories that the enemy takes, God still has not abandoned me. And God hasn't lost the war. And so in this moment here, Micah is reminding them of another truth of this reality that not only is God our king and sovereign, but he's also our shepherd. 
And the idea of shepherding is something that you find in the Old Testament throughout David and and others. And God uses that term to identify (coughs) that he is a shepherd for his sheep. Jesus picks up on that on John chapter 10 when he calls himself the good shepherd. In fact, the understanding is that that shepherding is is something that happens on a a, a spiritual level where someone is shepherding their sheep, taking care of them. When we think (coughs) about this, we got to recognize that part of God's judgment was the idea that he is still God and sovereign and he's still a good shepherd. That those two things aren't lost even in this moment that Israel was facing. Uh, Philip Keller, I I shared him earlier when we talked about Psalm 23 and we talked about grieving a little bit. But I just want to remind you what he said here. And it's kind of fascinating to me when he talks about shepherding and and pastoring or shepherding in God's word. Specifically in Psalm 23. uh, He talks about this when he talks about sheep and shepherds. He says the lot in life of any particular sheep is dependent upon the type of man who owned it. Think about that. The, the, the sheep has no kind of uh, pathway for himself. The sheep has no destiny where they're in control of its, its own destiny. They are solely dependent upon their care from the, the quality of shepherd that they have. And so he says some men are gentle, <coughs> kind, intelligent, brave, selfless in their devotion to their stock. Another man would struggle, uh, or another man's sheep would struggle, starve, and suffer endless hardship. It's another's care that they would flourish and thrive continually or contently. This idea that God is our shepherd is something that sometimes we need to step back in the moment and remind ourselves that he is a good shepherd. That he is kind and compassionate, merciful. Full of love and patience with us. That in this moment that God (coughs) has not left us or abandoned us. That he is truly our shepherd king. And when you think of those two words, they often don't go together. Because we think king, we think mighty and power and money and wealth and and position. And we think shepherd as lowly and, and dirty and forgotten. And anyone can be that. And yet God takes these two imageries, these two pictures in the story here in Micah and he pulls them together as far as what his commitment is to the nation of Israel. That I will always be your king no matter how difficult it gets and no matter how hard you have to go through, I will always be your shepherd. I will be your king shepherd. I will be your shepherd king. And using this, he closes up this prophecy in Matthew chapter, or sorry, Micah 4, and moving into chapter 5. You can see it again even in verse 4 when he says, I will stand and I will shepherd his flock, just like he did with the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4. He ties in a messianic, a, a prophecy about Jesus coming into all of this as we see him weaving his plan in the midst of what's going on. Now what's so encouraging about that is that even as the world goes left and right, God stays straight. Even as you go left and right in the choices you make and you, 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 you don't know which direction you're going or you make good decisions or bad decisions or something evil happens or something doesn't or good happens and, and your life kind of goes back and forth, God weaves his plan right down through the middle. 
And he is in control, he is sovereign, and yet he's care and compassionate to do that. Look, look what he says here in Micah 5, verses 1 through 2. Now you muster your troops, O daughter of troops, that <coughs> siege is laid upon us. That's talking about the reality of what's going on. And with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. That's, they're going to have a victory. The enemy is going to have a victory. Even like, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, Satan will, will bruise his heel. There's a moment where it feels like Satan wins. But that's not what's going to happen because, <coughs> verse 2, which we often kind of look at during uh, Christmas because of Bethlehem. But he says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephraim, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For you shall come forth, or for you shall come forth from me, the one is to be the ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. That verse 2 is, is Micah prophesying about the Messiah coming through the town of Bethlehem. Now why is that so significant? Well, O Bethlehem is a reminder again that God loves to take what the world deems as small, insignificant, meaningless, and worthless and he loves to take that and just wipe off the slate of whatever the world deems as most powerful, most, most important, most, most you know, uh, uh, likely to succeed. And God says, oh yeah, you think that's true? Let me show you the all ironies of all ironies. Right? He did it with David, right? When, when, when uh, Samuel came to anoint the king and David's dad brought out all his brothers, he didn't even bother to bring out David. He left him out in the field. And what Samuel say, what God, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. He did it with Moses in Egypt, right? Superpower Egypt, mightiest nation in the world, greatest army in the world. And what saves it is a little baby in a basket floating down the Nile. This is what God loves to do. This is why you and I need not to fret, need not to put on the worry or the fear that all is lost in these moments because what God loves to do is he loves to take the least and show through the least how powerful and mighty and in control he is. And so this week, today, even in this moment, our shepherd king is our shepherd king. Even in this moment, whatever we're facing and whatever, and again, I don't have all the answers for you. I don't know why things go on or things don't go on. I don't know what's going to happen next. I can't solve every, I can't give you answers. I've, I've learned hopefully a little bit in my time to say, you know what? I am kind of clueless. I don't have the answers. In fact, I'm trying a new philosophy in life that I want to be 100% right on the things I don't know. And the only way I can be 100% right on the things I don't know is to acknowledge I don't know them. I don't know him. And if I don't know it, why would I act like I know it? I, I don't know it. But what I, I do know is that God is a shepherd and a king. And somehow, some way in the midst of that, he will stay faithful to who he is, a shepherd and a king. And so what do we do with that? Well, I don't know because I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's zoomed in right into the camera that you can't see everything else. For some of you, it might be yourself. <laughs> you might have yourself so, so zoomed in that you can't see anything else because you're the only thing in the picture. 
Others, it might be some tragic thing. Others, it might be the news and what's going on in the culture. Others might be your health or your financial situation or your marriage or your kids. It might, it would, it might be there. And I can't tell you <coughs> how to fix it. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow if you just do these magical steps. But what I want to tell you is to, to let it zoom out a little bit. And when it zooms out, I want you to see behind it all is God who is a shepherd king. He is sovereign and he cares. And he hasn't left you or abandoned you. And somehow those things are going to be weaved into your story because God is not done and God is still doing what God has done from beginning to end and that he's telling his story and the Messiah, Jesus, is our shepherd king and he's going to return and he's going to lead us with care and compassion and with might and power. And even though we're in the midst of moments where the, the devil gets some victories, the enemy strikes us sometimes, God is still God. And with that, hopefully it helps you to zoom out.